his leadership, his wisdom, and his guidance. I want to um, today preach something that I um, recently preached at our campus. So if you help out our campus, just act like you know it. Amen. But I, this is something that God laid upon my heart to speak to us here today. It's something that I felt in, in my spirit this past Thursday here at the church uh, during service and Sometimes I understand that we know as a body of Christ that the church is a place where those that are hurting and broken can come and find healing and mending and restoration. But how many know that the body of Christ does go through its seasons where the body of Christ needs ministering to, needs encouragement, needs to be reminded of some things. So. That is my assignment here today. And I would ask that you do not uh, dismiss the word today because you think for some reason that it is not applicable to you. But if there's anybody in the house that has ever received a promise from God, then this sermon is applicable to you, which is everybody. Amen. So whether you've been in church for five minutes or five years, this sermon is applicable to you today. So I would ask that we open up our hearts and more importantly, that we will be obedient to the word of God. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. <coughs> it was a city in which the prophet Elisha had passed through often in his travels, but on this particular day, there was a great woman, as the Bible describes her, or more plainly, she was a woman of wealth. And it was obvious that she had taken note of him as he often traveled through their city. No doubt she had heard the tales of his doings from others within the city, and something within her this day desired to know more about this man and the God that he served. And so on this particular day, the Bible states that she constrained the prophet to come in and to join her and her husband for bread and to which the prophet agreed. And so it became a uh, never ending uh, occurrence that every time the prophet was in their city that he would pass through the city, he would stop in and break bread with this unnamed woman of Shunem and her husband. And it wasn't long before this woman's eyes were open and she perceived, the Bible says, that this man was no ordinary man, but he was indeed a holy man of God. So the Bible speaks of how she speaks to her husband and confers with him to see if there is any way that they could build a little chamber in their home for the prophet so that every time he was in town, not only did he have a place where he could eat, but he also had a place where he could lay his head. And so it was, the Bible says that they built a chamber for this man of God in their home. And this woman did what many of us forget to do at times in our busy, ever-changing day-to-day lives. She made room for God. You see, to her, having the voice of God was of utmost priority in her life. It was of utmost importance. It was imperative to her 
that the voice of God remain in its proper place of preeminence and main priority in her life. You see, what she had heard from the man of God sitting around the dinner table was more than just words of a stranger, but they were the words directly from the throne of heaven. And you see, today it is for those individuals who make room for God and those who prioritize the voice of God and in, in their lives. It is to those individuals that God will give unspeakable and impossible promises to. And there, in, 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 no, there is uh, no point-based reward system in heaven that you do this and you get this from God or you do that and you get that from God. And though the writer of Hebrews tells us that God rewards those who diligently seek him. You see, we don't, we don't seek him to get temporal earthly rewards because we as the body of Christ know that he is the ultimate reward. You see, money fades and fame deteriorates over time and homes grow old and outdated and new cars lose their value as soon as you drive them off the lot. It's a little Dave Ramsey tidbit right there. You see, our God, on the other hand, though, our God, he stands forever. You see, he is unwavering in his love. He's unchanging in his power, and he's undefeated in battle. You see, our God is not strong one day and weak the next, for he is still the same all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God as he was yesterday, as he is today, and as he will be forevermore. But it is our choice to decide, are we going to prioritize that voice of God in our lives? You see, in this fast-paced, ever-changing, trend-based world and society we live in, may it never be uncool for the body of Christ to not prioritize the voice of God in their lives. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else does, regardless of what they believe to be true or not. We know who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if that's the only way, then that's the way I'm going to choose to prioritize in my life. Regardless of what everybody else is doing, whether they claim to be Christian or not, if what they're doing does not align with the word of God, that's not something that I want to prioritize in my life. But I believe just as Joshua emphatically stated in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, he said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for you yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers that, that served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites or whose land in which you dwell. But as for me and my house, turn to your neighbor and tell him, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So we see that we do not serve God based on what is cool and what is trending lately. But we worship and serve God based on what we know and what we have learned to be true about our God. And so this Shunammite woman, having spent time with the prophet, had her eyes open and her mind illuminated to who it was that she had been entertaining as her guest. For indeed, again, he was a holy man of God. And it was after that revelation that 
she made up in her mind that she valued the voice of God in her life so much so that she would use her own finances, her own time, her own energy to build a chamber for this man of God in their home. And let it be noted that this chamber was not separate from their house. It was not a guest house in the back separate from the main living quarters. Where they could be on their own and not bother you. And not be intrusive and know what's going on in your day-to-day living. No, she made space and room for the man of God. And the intimate portion of her living in the very place in which you don't invite people unless you value what they have to offer you. You don't just invite any old body into your home. But those that you invite into your home, you place value on them. There's a sense of trust there. And so we see and understand that she placed value on this man of God so much so that she said, I'm not going to put you out somewhere else. I want you to be all up in my business. Because that's where I want the voice of God at in my life. Uh, you some, see, some of us, we ain't saved enough. We got these specific rooms that God isn't allowed to go into and we act like God can't see them in the first place. We serve a God who walks through walls. You think he can't walk through that door of your life and take a peek at what's going on in there that you're trying to keep secret from everybody else? No, God sees all and knows all. But you have to be willing to open up that space to God and say, God, I'm inviting you into this space. I'm not going to withhold anything from you. Because I don't, Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all. Your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. We got to make up in our minds. uh, If we're going to serve God, then we're really going to serve God. There's not going to be any area of our life that is off limits to God. But every area of our life, uh, as the psalmist said, search me, O God, uh, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. There's nothing in my life that is off limits to you. Because, God, I want you to have free reign and free rule in my life. And so as this story of the woman continues to unfold, there was a particular day that the prophet came in and was now in his chamber, and he called for his servant Gehazi to call unto him the Shunammite woman. And it was this day that she received that which she had not thought to ask. Because, again, her motive from the very beginning was not about what, it, what was in it for her. Understand that. We do not serve God based off of what is in it for us. That was not her motive, nor was it her intention. But because God is good, and because he blesses those who are obedient to him, it was this day that the prophet looked at her and asked unto her, What is to be done for thee? Or better, what is it that I can do for you in order to repay you for all that you have done for us? And it was to this question that she had no answer. There was nothing that she could think of because to her she had already had everything that she needed. Therefore, what is it in her mind? She was thinking, what is it that I could ask for? You see, she was wealthy. She lived Amongst her family, she was well known and liked within the community. What else was there 
possibly that she could desire. But finally, it was the prophet Elisha's servant, Gehazi, who spake up and informed the prophet that this woman had no child. But I want us to keep in mind that this woman and her husband, they were old. No doubt past the time of having a child. So there was no doubt that this was something that she had long ago given up in her mind of ever happening in her life. But here, Elisha, speaking to her without her even having asked for this thing, tells her that about this time, the next season, that she would be embracing a son. And sure enough, just as the prophet had spoken, she has this child that was promised unto her. The Bible says that on another particular day when this promised child was grown, he went out with his father to the reapers and in a moment he turned to his father and said, my head, my head, and he passed out. So the father doing what any father does when their child isn't feeling well, he carried the child to his mother. The Bible records that this boy sat there on his mother's lap until noon and died. This promised son that she had not thought to ask for was now dead. But yet, she knowing the God in which she no doubt learned and heard about from the man of God, who no doubt shared stories of his times that he had with the mighty prophet Elijah and the miracles that God had used Elijah to perform and no doubt many miracles that God had used Elisha to perform, she began to, to recollect and remember those different moments. And within, with those thoughts in mind, she picks up that promise. And she takes this promise and takes him not to be prepared for a burial, not to be prepared to be lamented and mourned, But rather, she takes him to that chamber, that place where she had prioritized God's voice in her life. And she laid the boy down on the bed of the prophet and walked out of the room and shut the door. And see, my question to us here today, and what I was really feeling on this past Thursday, is what do you do with your promise when it has died right before your eyes? When all of a sudden what God had promised to you and blessed you with is no longer showing signs of life. What do you do with that promise? What is your response to that moment where your promise dies right before your eyes? Do you take that promise and begin to mourn and and lament over what could have been and what should have been? Or do you take that promise back to the place where you first received it and leave it with the one who promised it to you? You see, what I've been feeling in my spirit is that the Lord wants to speak to someone here today. Because some of the things that you've been carrying around in your life recently, the baggage, if you will, that you've been carrying, was never something that God intended for you to carry. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I mean. If you could not bring the promise to pass on your own, 
What makes you think that you have the power or the ability to resurrect that promise? We just going to sit in here and act like we ain't never tried to fix our own promises. Act like we ain't never tried to fix something that was God-ordained and God-given. Something that we did not have the power to produce on our own. And yet somehow we try and we fidget and we play around and try to tinker and make it work again. Make it come back to life again when all along, every time that we fail, it just brings more disappointment and more uh, condemnation and more just, I, I don't know if this is what God really wanted for me. And all of a sudden, what God had promised to you, because you tried to fix it on your own, is now still lifeless and it's now brought about a weight and a heaviness that God had never intended for you to bear in the first place because you didn't have the Holy Ghost know-how to know that if I didn't give this to myself I shouldn't be trying to fix it on my own I need to take it back to the place where I first received it and leave it there How many times do we drive ourselves crazy with anxiety and worry when we're trying to fix something that we were never intended to try and fix? Say, well, God gave me the job. I'm supposed to be making this. I'm supposed to be doing this. Okay, yeah, go back to your first statement. God gave you the job. Don't you forget that God gave it to you. He knows what was going to happen before you even came to that core reality. So don't you dare lose your mind when you get to that place and begin to think that somehow God didn't see it coming. We've got to learn to pick up that promise and say, Lord, I didn't give this to myself. You gave it to me. Therefore, this is your responsibility. And so you take it back to that place where you have prioritized God's voice in your life. And hear me right now. If you've got a promise from God that has been dead or recently died within your arms, metaphorically speaking, and you haven't been building or continue to build that altar where you once prioritized the voice of God in your life, before you take that promise back to God, you need to go back to that altar and begin to rebuild that altar first. You see, we, we get it twisted sometimes. The miracle doesn't come just because God is good. Yes, God is good. But miracles come because you are obedient to what the word of God says. The psalmist said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Why is the man blessed? Because he doesn't walk with those that are ungodly. If you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly and you're trying to take a dead promise back to that place, well, guess what? God is not obligated to resurrect that promise if you're still walking in the counsel of the ungodly. You have to first remove yourself. Come out from among them, Paul said, and be separate 
And then when you're once again walking in the place where God has called you to walk, you can say, okay, God, here's that promise that you promised to me that's no longer breathing. It's lifeless. Now you deal with it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 11 and verse 28, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I. God is the one that gives you rest. Mm. I wasn't going to say it, but quit trying to pop pills thinking that that's what's going to give you rest. That's not what gives you rest. God is the one who gives you rest. But you've got to be willing to come to him. Quit trying to fix it. Get your hands off of it and say, God, I'm coming to you. Because you're the source of this promise. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. Somebody said it's easy. And my burden is light. Quit carrying things that God did not intend for you to carry. Going back to our story, we pick up the story here in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 26. And it was here. That the prophet sent out his servant after having spotted the woman of Shunem coming to him from afar off and sends to him to ask her if all is well with her and the child. And remember, the child is unmistakably deceased. No doubt she felt the body of the boy grow cold and witnessed his skin grow pale white as she sat there holding him for God knows how long before she got up and took that child. And laid him in the chamber of the prophet. So we pick up the promise. We pick up the story in verse 27. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone. For her soul is deep, is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Verse 28, she said, did I ask of my son, Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Basically what she's saying is, I didn't ask for this. The voice of God through you promised me this. So it's not something that I asked for. Verse 29, then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. If anyone greets you, do not answer. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And here, here's the crux of my sermon today. Because there is this stigma within the church, this idea within the church, within the body of Christ. Because of we, we've been conditioned by what we read in the book of Acts and you read or even through the life of Jesus Christ and you read of uh, account after account where Jesus speaks to someone and Jesus comes to someone who's ill and sick or whatever it may be or they're dead and he raises them back to life and he speaks one word and they come back to life or the apostles are ministering and they speak and the individual is healed or they come back to life in that very moment. And so we have become conditioned 
by what we have read. And yes, it's true. And yes, it's good. And yes, we still want to pray that way. But the problem with the church and the problem with the body of Christ is what happens when we pray the first time and nothing happens. What is our response? Yes, Sister Vera, we don't want to give up, but many times we do give up. We do give up. You're praying with someone at the altar to get the Holy Ghost, and you're around them. And when you start, this is, there's this intensity, there's this fire, this passion, this zeal. And 15 minutes go by, nothing happens. You're still praying with fire and intensity. 25 minutes goes by, and everything begins to die down a little bit because nothing's happening. You cannot see the evidence of what God is actually doing. There's nothing that you can visibly uh, uh, put with what you're feeling. And so you begin to lose hope. That may, and I've said this in my mind, and God checked me a couple times. Because you can be praying with somebody for healing, and you can be praying with somebody for deliverance, and you can be praying with somebody for them to receive the Holy Ghost. And so many minutes go by, and all of a sudden, in your mind, you begin to think, well, maybe it's just not for them today. Whew. I guess I'm the only one. Let's be honest. There have been many a times when we prayed for a promise of God. And after the first one or two times nothing happened, guess what? It's weeks, sometimes months or years that go by before we ever pray for that promise again. Because the first time we prayed, nothing happened. And therefore, if nothing happened, then therefore it must not be the will of God for this moment. But watch the prophet Elisha's attitude of faith. You see, from the very onset of this, he had the faith to believe that his servant Gehazi, simply taking his staff and laying it on the face of a child was enough. In his mind, Gehazi, take my staff. Don't talk to anybody on the way there. Anybody tries to talk to you, just go right by him. Go to the place where the child is. Lay my staff on his face, and he's going to be healed. That was his level of faith. But we continue to read, and Gehazi comes back, and he said it didn't work. Whew. And so Elisha follows the woman of Shunem to her house. And he goes up, the Bible says, to the room where the, boy is lay, where the boy is laying. And he begins to do, no doubt, what he had heard that Elijah did. And he goes in unto the child, and the Bible says that he laid on the child, put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands. And he stretched forth himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. And he returned and walked back and forth in the house. What does that mean? Again, nothing happened. Now you got to ask yourself, at what point would you have given up? If you're honest. <laughs> at what point would you have said, well, I thank you for allowing me to enjoy the promise for a little bit time, God. But you can take it now. Would you have given up when you were holding the dead, lifeless child? Because that alone is a traumatizing, heavy thing to experience. Would you have in your mind said, God, 
You gave it, but now it's gone, so I'm just going to give it back to you. Would you have given up after the prophet Elisha or in your own mind, whatever the promise is for you, after you prayed for it the first time with such authority and such boldness and such vigor? Or would you have walked back down to the house, gone back to the mother and said, nothing happened yet, but don't worry. I'm going to pray again. No evidence of anything happening. And some, some people can look and you always got these... Uh, these negative people that always want to point out the, the bad and everything and say, well, his body's only warm because Elisha was laying on top of him and his body heat transferred to the boy's body. But you know what I believe? The very moment that Elisha sent out Gehazi with his staff was the very moment that God began to respond. And that's what we have to understand. Just because we cannot see any fruit yet and just because we cannot see any evidence just yet, we have to know and understand that with that initial step of faith, that's when God begins to work and to move on your behalf. Anybody remember the story of Daniel when he was praying and the angel finally got to him and said, the Lord heard you when you first prayed. But there were enemies that came against me to stop me from delivering the message that God had intended for you to hear. Woo. Somebody hear me today. Just because you don't see the initial fruit and the initial evidence of what God has promised you. When you begin to pray, know and understand that every devil, every demon in hell does not want you to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life. Because once you experience that power, hear me, there's no denying that God is who he says he is. There's no turning back from that point on. Because you can look back over your life and you can say this thing was dead. It was lifeless. It was hopeless. But God. Come on, can I get a witness in the house today that you've gone through life and you've had things that have died on you. You've had promises that have died on you, but you didn't give up. You didn't throw in the tile, but you prayed again. Uh, keep praying. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep believing. We sang about it earlier. Even when I don't see you. I love the story of Job because Job said it was on the left hand where he does work, but I cannot perceive him. You see, we read that and we get to the part where he says, and I shall come forth as pure gold. But you don't realize that Job had to go through seasons of his life where he couldn't see God working. But he had to just keep walking and believing that with every step, he's on the left hand and he's working. I can't see him, but he's working. I don't know what he's doing, but I know he's moving. John 10, chapter 10, says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
I never, I never really dug much into that scripture because you read it on the surface, it means exactly what it means. That he's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I mean, how much more plain can you get? But what we know and understand is that the Bible is not depicting that he is trying to destroy us physically. But that word destroy in the Greek is translated useless. The enemy of your soul is trying his very best to render you useless. And the main way he does it for the people of God is when the people of God who have prioritized the voice of God, the ministry of God, the calling of God in their life, they're going through life doing what God has called them to do. And then all of a sudden, that which God had promised is now dead. And one of the biggest things that we struggle with in our minds as believers. And we can say in those moments where we're living in the mountaintop. God, I'm always going to trust you. I'm always going to believe you. But soon as, as soon as something dies, God, what happened? I'm just doing your will. I'm doing what you called me to do. Why is this happening in my life? Did I do something wrong? Is it me? Is there some area I'm living that I'm, I'm not living right in? What, what is it that you're wanting me to do? If it is, I'll fix it. When all the while, life just happens sometimes. It's not necessarily God. It's not necessarily the devil. It's just life. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. Life's going to happen. Accidents will happen. Sickness will happen. Pain will happen. Loss of your job will happen. Relationships being on the rocks is going to happen. Why? Because as long as we're confined to space and time, life will always happen. But it's in those moments. We have to make up in our minds beforehand, my response to this is going to be this. When that promise dies, I'm not going to, I used to tell people that you can, but you give people an a, a inch, they go a mile. I used to say, it's okay to question, it's okay to, it's okay to want to know what happened, yeah. But for some people, you know that you can't question nothing because once you get questioning, it's going to turn into a 30-page essay of why God should never let it happen in the first place. Oh, that's not you. Two weeks later, you're still in that place. God, why me? Why, why am I just... And God's just trying to knock on your door and say, I got it if you'll just wake up. Just give it to me. Quit, quit worrying about it. Quit complaining. Quit fussing. What will our response be? Are we going to pick up that promise once again? Because we see that Elisha goes back up a third time. And he does the same thing he did before. But this time, all of a sudden, the boy's eyes open. And he coughs or sneezes seven times. But what I have to, I want us to under, understand here today. Is that there were two times when this woman of Shunem had to pick up her promise. 
The first time was when the promise died right there in her arms. And she had to make up in her mind, I'm going to pick up this promise and take it back to the place and to the one who gave it to me in the first place. And I'm going to leave it there. And then the second time she had to pick up her promise <clears throat> is after the third time Elisha went up there. And he calls her in and says, woman, pick up your child. But what we have to, this is just in my mind. The only two indicators that she had that the boy was alive is that his eyes were open and he sneezed seven times. Now, as a parent, me being a parent now, I would have had some questions. Because I would have said, uh, why is he not moving? He sneezed, but he ain't moving. At least the Bible doesn't give an indication that he ever moved. I'm like, sneezes are good, but these are supposed to work. And these are supposed to work. I would say, well, you might need to pray again, brother, because uh, I don't know if this is whole yet. But with the little indication that she had, the prophet said, pick up your child. That's all she had to go on. He sneezed and his eyes were open. And yet to her, that was enough. <laughs> Woo. We have to understand that God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts far exceed our thoughts. So if God only gives us two little indicators that our promise is coming back to life, for us as believers, that should be enough. And we should have the faith enough to say, God, if you're doing that, you obviously going to complete it. Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he which have begun a work in you, he's going to perform it. Come on, God's not going to bring it back to life that much and then just allow it to stay there. No, God is a God of completion. God is a God of wholeness. And so if he brought it that far, he's going to complete the work. Stand to your feet, if if you will. <clears throat> what promise do you have in your life here today that is seemingly dead, lifeless, hopeless, that you have all but given up on? When I was initially studying for this sermon for HF, God began to Revealed promises to me that I had given up on. It's never going to happen. I've been praying for it for years. It's, nothing's happened, so it probably never will happen. We've all been there. <laughs> praying for someone that walked away from God, and you're like, God, they really out there. I don't know if they're going to come back. Relationships that were broken. God, this relationship can never be healed. It keeps getting worse. But if we take that promise back to the one who gave it in the first place, 
And the key point is, take it back to him and leave it there. And I love that the Bible says she didn't just leave it there, but she shut the door. Some of us need to leave our promises there and shut the door. Quit trying to open the door back up to check and see how it's doing. Any progress yet, God? Can you let me in and see? If God, in in all reality, he could have did it in less time, but if he created everything that we see today in six days, and that's the crazy thing because he could have did it in one day. But if he did all of those things in six days, what makes you think that he can't fix your problem in one moment? I'll tell you why it is. Because we prayed before and it didn't happen. But we've got to make up in our minds that if we're really going to live for God, then that comes with enduring those seasons. And every time we go through those seasons, it's not time to throw a pity party and say, oh, me, oh, my. But you have to just continue to do what you've been doing. Seek first the kingdom. And all these other things will be added. to you. We've got to learn how to pick up that dead promise. And take it back to the one who gave it. And then when he fixes it, even if it's not fixed to the point in which we would agree with. We have to learn to say, God, it's enough. Because I know you're going to complete what you have begun. Because the whole purpose of the enemy of our souls in this end time is not to destroy us to the sense where he's destroying us physically. But it's to render the people of God useless. To where they are of no effect to anybody else. They can't minister to anybody else. They can't pray for anybody else. Because how am I going to pray for you for God to do something in your life when I can't believe God to do it in my life? You have been rendered useless. And that's exactly what the enemy of our souls wants to do. But I believe there's a people of God that are rising up in these last days. That it doesn't matter what my promise or what my situation, what my life may currently look like. I serve a God who's still on the throne. I serve a God who's undefeated. I serve a God who has all power in heaven and in earth. I serve a God who can do the impossible. The Bible said with man it's impossible. But with God all things are possible. I serve a God who still says he will supply every one of my needs according to his riches and glory. Glory by Christ Jesus. That's the kind of God that we serve. So you've got to remind yourself in those seasons and moments of time that he's still the same God. And if you have to pray again, so be it. Pray again. And if you got to pray again after that, so be it. Pray again. You know what speaks to people who aren't in church more than anything else? Is how can you continue to go through things that you're going through and still trust God? 
You see, people can witness miracles that just happen and still say, ah, I don't know, maybe. But when you have a relationship with someone and they know what you're battling, what you're facing, and somehow you, you wake up day in and day out, put a smile on your face and say, God's going to work it out. God's going to see me through. If he did it before, he could do it again. That person looks at you and say, how? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Because if it was me, I would have given up a long time ago. And then you're able to look at them and tell them it doesn't matter what it looks like. As long as the God that I serve is still on the throne, I know that I'm going to come out of this victorious. And God can do the same thing in your life. It doesn't matter what you're going through, what you're facing, what you're having to endure. No, no matter how impossible it may seem. If God can do it for me, he can do it for you. Our persistence. Our ability to endure is our greatest testimony. <clears throat> our ability to endure, but not just endure, but to thrive while you're enduring. To conquer territory while you're enduring. To still see God do miracles for others while you're enduring. That is the church's greatest testimony. When you have the Holy Ghost enough to lay hands on somebody with authority for God to heal them of cancer, when you've got cancer going through your body and God heals them, guess what? You are thriving while you're enduring. And that's going to speak volumes to someone who does not yet know God. Because in your actions, you're telling them God is still able not just to heal me, but to heal this individual. Come on, you may be going through a season of lack right now financially, but if you can continue to bless God and bless others, if God lays it on your heart to bless someone financially and you say, God, well, I, I don't know because I only got this much in the account and I got this to pay, I got that to pay. If you would just be obedient to God, guess what? God will bless you beyond measure because of your obedience. We've got to learn how to endure. It's easy to tell somebody. It's easy to read in the scripture and see how they endure. But it's another thing altogether when you're having to endure yourself and say, how do I do this, God? I'll tell you how you do it. Whatever it is, you pick it up, you take it to God, shut the door, leave it there, and go back to ministering. That's exactly how you do it. That's exactly how you do it. It doesn't matter what God is doing behind the door because we know he's working, as Job said. We just have to continue to work and do that which God has called us to do. What's that scripture, Brother Russell? Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does that mean? As long as you are bound in the work of the Lord, God's working for you. He don't work for you, but he's working for you. He's going to work everything out together for your good. 
But we've got to be willing to pick up the promise and take it back to him. And then when he presents it back to us, no matter what it looks like, if God says it's healed, it's healed. Don't allow the enemy coming to your mind and saying, ah, God, I, I still feel this. I still feel that. That's all right. If God says you're healed, then you go by that. He's the ultimate authority. Where the word of a king is, there's, a, there's power. And last time I checked, the devil wasn't a king. So if God tells you you're healed, then you walk on that word. Regardless of what you feel in your body, it doesn't matter. Because if God has already spoken it, then it's already done. You've just got to learn to believe that. So I want us here today. I don't know where anybody's at in their life. But I do know this. Number one, there has to be an exchange today. You've got to quit carrying that heaviness that God did not intend for you to carry. You've got to lay it down. If God promised to you and gave it to you, that's not your problem. That's his. And he doesn't have problems. He just has solutions. So give it to him. That's number one. Number two, if you have forsaken that place of priority in your life, you've got to rebuild that altar today. That's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to rebuild that altar. Because nothing else can happen in your life until the altar is rebuilt. When God gave the, uh, the Moses the, uh, the uh, temple plan in the Old Testament, the first thing they had to do was come to the altar of incense. They couldn't do anything else until they crucified flesh. And until we crucify flesh, we will never see the fire fall. You will never see the fruition of your promise until you first crucify flesh. That's number two. And then today, I believe God's going to give someone evidence that their promise is still intact, that their promise is still coming to pass, and you've got to be willing to pick up that promise, regardless of what it looks like, no matter how little of evidence it may seem to be, you've got to have the faith to pick that up today and to walk out of here with head held high and say, God, if you've started it, you're going to complete it. So of, of those three categories, which I think they're applicable to everybody, Either one of those three categories, they're applicable to everybody in here. So I'm going to open up this altar in just a moment. But you've got to be willing to be obedient. You've got to be willing to be obedient. Because without obedience, nothing else can happen. So when you come to this altar, no, no worrying, no anxiety, no complaining. We're going to lift that promise back up to God and say, God, you gave it to me. I'm trusting and believing that you're going to fix it. I'm trusting and believing that you're going to work it out. And then leave it there. How you leave it there? Start worshiping. Start thanking God in advance for what he's about to do. That's how you leave it there. You don't just pray that prayer and then you walk back to your seat and say, well, I left it there. No, you start worshiping and thanking God in advance. When Elisha came to the woman, he said, he asked her, is it well with you and the child? She said, it is well. Why? Because she knew and understood already that God's already worked it out. And so we've got to give God an it is well praise in this place today. So right now, if the music would come, if you would come right now down to this altar. And if you will lift your hands, and listen, we're not praying these passive, we're going to pray with authority today. You hear me?